0: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. A new approach to agri-environment schemes based on payment by results is being investigated in a pilot project by Scotland's nature agency NatureScot. In this podcast, Senior Conservation Consultant at SEC Consulting, Paul Chapman, speaks to Nature Scots, Kirsten Brewster and Kay Pritchard to find out more about how this approach works and how it differs from prescriptive agri-environment schemes that farms are currently used to.
1: Hello, my name's Paul Chapman and I'm a Senior Conservation Consultant with SEC Consulting. Over the past year or so, I've been working with Scotland's nature agency, NatureScot, formerly known as Scottish Natural Heritage, and a group of farmers in Strathspey as part of a pilot project to develop a new approach to agri-environment schemes in Scotland. This approach, known as outcome or results-based schemes, marks a change from the prescriptive agri-environment schemes many farmers will be familiar with, and in this podcast I'll discuss what this might mean for farmers in the future, with the Nature NatureScot staff who are involved in developing it. Agri-environment schemes are the main mechanism to provide funding for farmers to support biodiversity, enhance the landscape and improve water and soil quality and they've been an integral part of the support system for farming in Scotland for more than 30 years. Over that time period, we've seen a succession of schemes, including the environmentally sensitive areas, the countryside premium scheme, the rural stewardship scheme, rural priorities, and most recently, the agri-environment climate scheme. Although the names of the schemes may have changed, the way they have operated has been very similar over the years. Farmers apply for annual payments, usually over a period of five years at a time to implement a range of management options aimed at different habitats and species of conservation interest. Each option has specific prescriptive rules that have to be followed such as dates when grazing or mowing can and can't take place. In addition, one-off capital payments are available for the creation of new habitats and features such as hedges, ponds and new wildflower meadows and for things like fencing that are required to allow control of grazing in specific areas. There's no doubt that these schemes have delivered environmental benefits. Thousands of kilometres of new hedges have been planted, diffuse pollution from the eroding banks of watercourses has been reduced by fencing, and some species have been helped by simple prescriptive measures. In the Hebrides, farmers and crofters have been able to bring the corn crake back from the brink of extinction by following simple prescriptions that delay hay and silage cutting. More recently, there's been evidence that the provision of wild bird seed mixes has helped to turn around the fortunes of the endangered corn bunting on arable farmland in Fife and Angus. But despite these successes, many species of conservation concern have not responded to agri-environment prescriptions aimed at helping them. And some habitats have suffered from under or over grazing when prescriptive and inflexible stocking rates have been applied. This has led to increasing interest in whether schemes that pay farmers by results rather than following specific rules might be more effective in these cases. I spoke to Agriculture Advisor Kirsten Brewster and Rural Surveyor and Operations Manager Kay Pritchard, both from NatureScot, to discuss this possible shift in approach. Kirsten, thanks for joining us. You and Kay are leading the work to look at how outcome or results-based agri-environment schemes might work. Can you explain why you're interested in this approach?
2: Hi, Paul. Uh, thanks for asking. We are um, in Scottish Natural Heritage Centre Nature, Scott. We are um, looking at future agricultural policy um, and thinking about, you know, our, our twin challenges that we have of uh, climate change and biodiversity loss. And really one of the big drivers is EU exit. So we're expecting agricultural policy to change in the post 2024 period anyway. And um, so for us, this is a time to think about, well, how do we actually, um, spend that money more efficiently so that we're actually delivering for for nature and for climate Um, and that's really one of our big drivers to try and bring results-based payments to scotland and i can chat a little bit more about what results-based payments are in a second
1: results-based agri-environment schemes aren't a completely new idea are they they've been trialed in some other countries already and i think you've looked at some nearby examples is that right
2: yeah, absolutely. So results-based payments have been trialled across Europe um, in places like Sweden and Holland. But um, myself and my colleague Kay um, were lucky to join a study trip to Ireland last year um, where we looked at a couple of different um, projects that they've been running in results-based payments. So just to, to set out results-based payment is basically um, the idea that the farmer, the crofter receives a greater payment um, when they deliver more for, for nature and biodiversity. So Part of that is the need for monitoring throughout the scheme so you actually know what's being delivered um, and then, you know, the payments are higher depending on, on how much you're able to do. So thinking about Ireland, you know, there are a huge number of projects that have gotten off the ground there because they had a large amount of EU funding Um one of those is the Hen Harrier Project in Ireland, um, which has, you know, about 1500 people now involved in that scheme and um, because it, it runs over you know the SBA areas which are designated for hen harriers so I think you know from our point of view going over there at the start um, and looking at that it was really exciting to see how many farmers were engaged in that project and how you know they viewed it as something worthwhile to be involved in and um, so that was really exciting for us.
1: I think there are also some trial schemes underway in England as well is that right?
2: Yes absolutely so in the last few years um, Natural England have got together and had a couple of pilots so they have uh, a pilot in sort of hill farming area in the Yorkshire Dales where they're looking at wading birds um, and species-rich hay meadows and they also have a pilot in kind of Norfolk area where they're looking at um, arable farming and kind of strips for pollinators and um, so yeah it's really interesting to see that know we're now starting to test these in different areas and in different farming systems and trying you know look at what is possible what can we measure and what can we pay farmers on
1: okay so give us an idea of the basic approach for this type of scheme how would the actual process of running an outcome-based agri-environment scheme work in practice
2: sure so i mean one of the big things actually straight away when you look at these schemes is the application process is really quite different so You know, for anyone that's been involved in um, agri-environment schemes previously, you'll be aware that quite a lot of time and resource goes into the application. You know, you hire an agent typically and and spend quite a bit of money doing that, whether or not you get into the scheme. Um, So what is quite different here is that these results-based projects that we've seen in in Ireland and in England um, have very simple applications. It is quite often just a side of A4 where you fill out some basic um, information about your farm, you know, your address, all the rest of it. Um, and basically, if, if you fit the criteria, if you're, you know, if you're within the Henharry ISPA or, or in England's case, if you're within the Orchard Dales National Park and you have the kind of habitat that's required, then really, you know, you're in the scheme. So I think that is quite an interesting difference because um, so much more of the emphasis then goes on to advice throughout the scheme rather than at the beginning, um, which I think is, is quite exciting. Um, other aspects of the, you know, how it works, you know, quite often there are plans developed at the beginning of the scheme so you know maybe a map showing which fields are going to be in the results-based scheme um, and what those fields are for so you know if it's for wading birds you you would have that highlighted in your maps Um, and from there really it's a big thing about results-based scheme like I said is about this monitoring aspect throughout the duration of the scheme and so scorecards are really the kind of crux of that and so that you know there are scorecards Kay's going to talk a little bit more about these but the scorecards basically every year there's an assessment using the scorecard and how well the farmer or crofter is doing is picked up by that scorecard and then they are paid on the basis of what is um assessed so you know that in itself i think is quite nice because it's quite clear to see how you're being assessed you know that the farmers can have a look at that and they understand why they're being given a certain score and and it, it means it's sort of a transparent process for everybody
1: Looking at current schemes, there's uh, quite a big role for advisors in terms of drawing up plans. What role do you see for advisors in these um, outcome-based schemes? Are there different ways they could be involved?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, you know, the application aspect is very different. Rather than um, bringing in an advisor at the beginning um, to give you lots of advice and you never hear from them again, because that's the way our schemes currently run. The advisors in these results-based schemes are used much more um, effectively, I feel, throughout the scheme. So if it's a five-year scheme period, you'll actually, you know, be in touch with an advisor potentially every year of the scheme and get that ongoing advice as to how you're doing. So um, in the Irish examples that we looked at, the agents actually do the scoring with the scorecards that I mentioned. So they're they're involved that way and they can provide the farmer with, you know, that really targeted advice as to how to improve their score, which increases the payment and you know give that kind of feedback as to things that maybe have gone well but also things that can be improved Um, in the English examples the farmers actually did their own scoring but there was that um, input from the advisors in the national park as to you know how to improve the scores and, and actions that you could maybe take to you know benefit the biodiversity more so I think that for me is it's really quite exciting to see the agents used more effectively and I'm sure for you Paul to you know to have that input and be able to improve things.
1: Yes, I could see that would be a, a more effective use of an advisor's knowledge and experience. potentially. Moving on to look at these scorecards in a, a little bit more detail, I'd like to turn to Kay now and ask if uh, you could talk us through what's involved in these scorecards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as Kirsten said, the scorecards are, are the means by which we we measure how well it's being managed for the target objectives, which whichever they are, and each parcel would be monitored each year. So, um, basically, um, these these scorecards, um, the way that they are set up just now, are, are a couple of pages long with a number of elements within them, and. While some of the Irish schemes were targeted at a particular um, species, the approach taken was to assess the habitat quality, um, which would encourage the most appropriate conditions in which those species could thrive. And um, this is the approach that we're taking um, with you, Paul, looking at uh, waders in Strasby. So it's all about the the habitat quality. I think it's useful to, to use an example and um species-rich grassland is a habitat um which we're looking at on the west coast of scotland and the scorecard for that habitat could cover a range of different elements and um, these can be split into ecological integrity hydrological integrity and um, threats to site integrity so looking into that we're talking about looking at the um how many what we call positive indicator species i.e the the types of grassland that we'd um, really like to see the semi-natural habitat um how many are there what's the cover of them we're looking at um cover of what we call negative indicators and we mean by that things like nettles or or docks that uh, we really don't want to see and also looking at vegetation structure to um, assess appropriate levels of of grazing. Um, And accompanying that we would look at negative impacts such as poaching or or supplementary feeding. So these are things um, over which the farmers have control and can change to um, improve the, the condition of the target habitat that we're looking at
1: and of course they have uh, flexibility then about how they can go about achieving that condition rather than following a, a rigid grazing prescription as they would have to do on, on under current schemes. Okay, so I can see how the scorecard approach works really well with something like species-rich grassland but some people might wonder about a species-based scheme aimed at something like wading birds Why not just score the scheme based on how many of that species there are on the farm, which is obviously the actual outcome that we're looking for. What's the benefit of using a habitat based scorecard for that type of situation?
0: So what we're trying to do is um, capture and reward the management that the farmer does on the ground to help improve the condition for the target um, habitat or or species that we're looking at. a number of factors can influence those numbers that are out with the farmer's control um, and so we don't think it's fair to bring those factors in because that will affect the level of payment that the, the farmer will receive.
1: Okay so we're rewarding the creation of ideal conditions for a species and hoping that they do then benefit but the farmer isn't running the risk of making all the effort to create those conditions and then something beyond their control prevents that happening and they end up not being rewarded for their efforts. Exactly. Am I right in thinking that in some countries they they do have a a top-up bonus payment for um, whether the species actually respond to the management?
0: That's right. That was um, a a sort of novel approach that we saw um, in a project in Ireland where... um, the scheme was to benefit hen harriers, and these were on what's called special protection areas, so designated um, sites for the hen harriers. And each of these sites was given a target um, for breeding success um, for the harriers. And if that particular SBA, special protection area, met that target, then there would be a bonus pot available, which would be split between um, the farmers who had a, um, a certain score Um, or above in that area and that pot would be split so there was a kind of incentive there to um, get the best management for the harriers so that that was quite an interesting concept that would be um,
1: that we'd like to to look into as well. So how does the scoring system actually then translate into the payments that the farmer gets?
0: Okay, so the scoring system works such that um, I've talked about the different elements within the scorecard. And uh, against each of these elements, there's a range of points available. And these points um, per element reflect the relative value of that element um, in relation to what the scheme is targeting. So scores can be um, positive or negative uh, with the negative scores there to sort of effectively act as a a nudge to farmers to encourage them to change their management um, on, on the site to address a particular issue that, that's being thrown up. Um, and I can give you an example, for instance, for the um, Peatlands scorecard um, that we have, and it looks at uh, surface hydrology, i.e. You know, how wet is, is the site. And uh, we have minus 30 points for active drains. So that's quite a big, what we call a nudge, uh, to try and encourage the farmer to block those drains to effectively then um, you know get the, the site wetter. And um, I'll go into payments, but there, there would be money available to help um, block those drains. And the impact of that would be next year, the following year, when it was rescored, the score would be much higher the following year, and they should get a higher payment. So um, that's, that's how the, the, the scores within the scorecard work. So we've talked about how the um, scores are, are calculated. And um, generally, the aim is to, to get um, a maximum points of, of 100, which can then be easily translated into a final score of one to 10 points. And that is then um, put against a range of payments available. And uh, as Kirsten has said earlier, the higher the score, the higher the payment. And um, what we're talking about with the results-based scheme is um, trying to make something that um, is better for the environment. So we're trying to be clearer as to um, what we want to achieve and, and reward management um, that uh, helps to, to get there but we also want to make it more flexible for the farmer. So we recognise that in the past, um, the sort of fixed um, prescriptions, uh, fixed management required under um, agri environment schemes in the past has caused some difficulties for farmers to, um, to meet those requirements, so specific requirements, and they don't necessarily apply across the whole country. So this approach allows them to choose how far they want to go in terms of managing um, land um, for the target species or habitat this allows a more flexible approach for the farmer to consider what's applicable in his or her circumstance as to how far they can go um, towards achieving these targets and they'll get suitably rewarded um, for that so we're hoping that as i say it's it's um better for the environment it's it's um, we want to get the the most in terms of value for money um, for the amount of money that's going into to agri-environment. Um, we recognise that you know that's a lot of money. Under the current agri-environment climate scheme, around 209 million pounds has been committed since 2015. So um, we want to ensure best value for money for that. Like current agri-environment schemes. We would hope that there would be annual payments available for contribution to annual management and payments for um, capital options or supporting actions um, like, say, water troughs or um, fencing to um, enable the the farmers to carry out management, which would help them increase their score and consequently um, payment the following year and get a benefit for the environment.
1: Thanks, Kay so going back to kirsten um i wonder if you could explain a little bit more about how these outcome-based schemes are being um progressed in scotland um the pilot scheme that's uh taking place at the moment and uh, what it involves
2: yeah absolutely so they um we're calling it the pobas project i should say that if i start to slip into the, that terminology but um Yeah, we began that in uh, spring last year, so 2019, um, and we started out with four main pilot locations. So we were looking at arable farming in East Lothian, crofting in Skye, hill farming in Argyll, the Cabra area, and uh, mixed livestock farming in Straths Bay. Um, And along the way, we sort of picked up a couple of um, partner projects as well. So looking at uh, peatlands in Shetland and common grazings in the Outer Hebrides um and really the purpose of that first phase was to discuss all the potential outcomes with the farmers and crofters so you know to explain to them what is payment by results and kind of gauge how they felt about that and then discuss what they felt was possible what can they deliver on their farms and crofts um and there were a huge range of responses to that really you know people were talking about all sorts of things water quality and landscape and you know specific species that they they see on their their farms and from there, we really had to narrow it down so that we could actually, you know, investigate this a little bit further in the short time we had. So as as we've mentioned, you know, we're looking at uh management for waders in Straths Bay, looking at hedges and field margins in East Lothian. um, and then looking kind of at at the area above the in by in Argyll and La and thinking about sort of richness of those habitats um, and maybe trying to reward an area that hasn't done so well in agri-environment previously. And then in Sky, we we are hoping to do um looking at the whole croft and trying to um, support, you know, the richest habitats in that croft as a way of supporting the whole really. So that was quite an interesting one. Um, And like I say, we we ended up with the two, the partner projects as well. So as we move into the second phase of the project now, we're we're taking forward those four and the partner projects, but we're also adding in another uh, pilot in dairy farming in Dumfries and Galloway. Um, and going to kind of explore what they feel is relevant to them and what kind of actions they might take um, and explore their response to payment by results as well but in this second phase what's quite you know exciting now is we're finally able to get out in the field hopefully with the farmers and crofters depending on all this um, coronavirus kind of restrictions and guidance but we're hoping to actually score the fields and so that they can really see you know how well are they doing according to a scorecard, and are there any things about the scorecard that we need to maybe alter or edit, um, you know, to to fit more um, accurately with the local conditions, um, and what's really interesting from there is then we can start to talk about sort of where they might fit in a payment rate. You know, would they be right up at the top of the payment rate, or would they be, you know, somewhere in the middle with room for improvement? So that's going to be really interesting, I think, in the next couple of months as we start to do that work.
1: Okay, so. Once um, hopefully that phase two of the project has um, refined uh, the the whole system are you then hoping to actually try delivering the scheme in practice on on some of these farms?
2: Yeah absolutely from our point of view that's always been our our goal with you know piloting this is to actually have a, a paid for pilot with the farmers and you know see can people improve their scores over consecutive years you know can they improve their payment rate and and how do people respond to that? Um, and not only that, but how do, you know, we as an organization or yourselves as advisors, how do we respond to that? You know, can we make that work? Because it is a very different way of working. You know, it's more of a, a ongoing relationship rather than just signing a scheme and sort of moving on. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what we're hoping to do next year um, subject to sort of funding and all the rest of it. But that that's going to be really interesting, I think.
1: And if, assuming that the project is, is a success, um, then you would maybe hope to to uh, roll out the pilot projects more widely. Would do you, do you think there's a realistic prospect that this will become a, a mainstream part of agri-environment support in the future across the whole of Scotland? And, and how would it fit into the, the wider system?
2: Yeah, so in, in terms of uh, rolling out then, I mean, one of the things we have to think about is... Um, you know, this approach, we're obviously trialing it at the minute, it it is going to be relevant for certain things. So like we've mentioned, sort of species rich grasslands, things like that, we know it works for. There are also other aspects that, you know, payment by results and using scorecards and paying different levels, you know, it just potentially doesn't make sense to do that quite often things that just now are sort of capital items. And I just can't see sort of added value in, in changing everything to a scorecard approach. And you know, we monitor it every year, so partly it's, it's I think it will be an element of future support. Um, and I think that's, you know, that that's a good way to use this as sort of where it adds value to monitor and um, that's what we should be doing, but where it doesn't, I think it, you don't want to unnecessarily complicate things. Um, in terms of the sort of time scales, like I said, sort of post 2024 um, is when we're expecting to see some changes to um, support. And I think we might see sort of a phased in approach in terms of, you know, changing certain aspects um as they're ready to be to be sort of phased in. But yeah, it, it's it's gonna be really interesting to think about, you know, just now we're looking at these pilot areas and we're looking at very specific things in each pilot area. But, you know, as as you know, a scheme has to apply to the whole country really um and has to have options for everyone. So I think that's gonna be one of our challenges, but also, you know, quite exciting to aim for that.
1: Definitely. Well thank you, Kirsten and Kay, for giving us that excellent overview. I think a lot of farmers would be happy to see the back of some of the rigid prescriptions they have to follow under current schemes, and although we're unlikely to get rid of these altogether, I think that outcome-based schemes and payment by results are likely to become a familiar part of agri-environment support in the future, and it'll be very interesting to see how those pilot schemes progress in the coming year.